What is good, ladies and gentlemen? It is I, Paul J. Long, coming to you all the way from Minnesota on another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm super stoked for today's guest. He's one of the funniest men in America. He is a meteorologist in the Twin City area. Mm -hmm. But before I introduce him, of course, we got to shout out our sponsor, Charlie Hustle, located in beautiful Kansas City. Of course, you don't have to reside in Kansas City to find uh, their duds fresh and clean. So go to charliehustle.com to learn more. And without further ado, I would like to introduce our podcast guest, Mr. Ian Leonard. Ian Leonard, how are you, sir? Dude, I can't be disturbed right now. I'm going to charliehustle.com. I see that. You're on your phone. You're great with instruction. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what are we doing? Who are you? Well, this is a little podcast. Uh-huh. And what we do, Ian, is we focus <clears throat> on the things that lift people up. <clears throat> and uh, <throat> we try to like showcase the organic conversation yeah. that could take place if mm-hmm. you're like expressing a genuine interest in others. Is that message for me? Uh, let me just say, no, it's definitely not. Is it your wife? It's my wife. Then it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So, Ian, uh, what do you do for fun, man? Same question we start with everybody. Yeah, you know, I can I, can I divide it up? Can sure. I have three types of fun? Let's go. I mean, for me, there is nothing better than hanging and chilling with my family. Okay. There are times on Friday nights. Lame. That, if you could just let me talk oh, for a little. I know this is your show, but I want to talk. <laughs> There are times on Friday nights, everyone will call, and now the secret's going to get out there, and we'll say, sorry, we're busy. we got a big thing we're going. And we don't go anywhere. We make pizzas, and we hang out, and we make each other laugh. Right. And, and and it's not about watching a movie. It's not about doing anything that would be considered fun. Us all hanging out, making each other bust a gut, that's fun for us. Yes. And, you know, my daughters are teenagers now, so they're starting to get it more and more. Um, so that'd be one. I think the second one for me is, is um, after everything that's happened in my life, is doing triathlons. Mm. I, love, I, I, love, um, I love being dog dead tired. I love being so tired you can't believe that you're getting up and putting on your cycling shorts at five in the morning because you got to go ride 100 miles. And you're thinking to yourself, well, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. Seems very counterintuitive. I love being dog ass tired. I, 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 don't, I don't think I would function right. If I was 9 to 5 and I got to bed every night at 9.30 at night and woke up every morning at 7 a.m., I don't think I would function right. I wouldn't know how to function. Hmm. So for me, fun is, but I think this is fun, what we do too. Anytime I can interact with people. Yes. If I, you know, if it's somebody in the mall and stops and says, hey, we just love your weather forecast. <laughs> my, I mean, my God. <laughs> when I'm on the yacht, I know exactly what to uh, wear. <laughs> and so... <laughs> talking and being with people and right. making people laugh and have fun. There are times when I leave the studio at night and I think to myself, I'm not sure I was good. I'm not sure I was funny. I'm not sure I was it tonight. To which my wife says, you don't need to be that way every night. Some nights it's just the weather. Sure. Um, but I don't make things. You know, the guy who makes a cabinet, that beautiful cabinet that you see in a store, when he leaves or she leaves from making that cabinet, they can look back and say, I did that. I did that today. I don't have that life. So my life is trying to find where the fun is. What do you mean, man? You're making memories and you're making people laugh. But, but it's not. But, but, but. But it's not made of wood. It? <laughs> That's true. Uh, wrong. I'm sitting across from you. It's totally made from wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. Left turn, <laughs> left turn. So, dude, your journey is uh, one of the most amazing stories ever. And the reason why it's so fascinating to me is <laughs> the way that you carry yourself. And when you say, you know, I like to hang out with our family, we make each other laugh, 
I have honestly, and I told you this the day that we met, I've never met somebody as good at making others laugh that wasn't a stand-up comic, which you totally are if you wanted to be. I've never met somebody that made people laugh as easily as you did uh, and do. So is that something that you've always had? You know, okay, um, yeah. Well, they, now Captain Ego is going to show up. Well, yes, it is. Um, so here's the backstory. My parents are, are British. I love British humor. They immigrated in 1950. British, huh? Well, let's put another shrimp on the barbie. That's, well, that's, I mean, no, that was really good. Really, I mean, <laughs> those classes you're taking, the linguistic stuff, fabulous. Um for my parents, it was it was it was always about making each other laugh. And I, then I was born and raised in Canada, Western Canada, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And I, I don't know if people know, but it gets really cold up there for a long time. So you spend a lot of time trying to make everybody laugh, trying to entertain people. Not that people in other parts of North America or different countries don't do that, but when it's forty five below. You're not leaving your house. Your neighbors will run over with, you know, something to eat. And you just sit around making each other laugh. Right. And I, I think that's where it comes from for me. And then you take it a step further. And the, the first mentor I ever had, he said, don't fake it. Because the one second you're, you're too tired or you forget to fake it, everyone's going to suddenly realize, that guy's been faking it the whole time. Right. So my whole thing has been, look, this is me. And I'm just going to do what I, what, I, what I think is funny. And look, there's times it doesn't work. Right. But some, when it doesn't work, it's even funnier to see how you come back <laughs> from funny. it. I right? When you, I mean, it's like dropping the worst joke right. in the world on a group of friends. And everyone's like, yeah, dude, that was funny. Right. And, and then you're like, the, how do you turn it now? How do you make that situation funny? And the key to my life is self-deprecating humor. I I want to make fun of myself. I want to be the idiot. And if you start making fun of other people too much, that's cruel. That's insane. It's not humor. Right. You know, making fun of people, it's not funny. it, It doesn't really work. And so for me, if I can make fun of myself... And then you laugh at me. Then I laugh because you're laughing and we're all laughing. It's funny because I feel like you make fun of me often. Well, I mean, the, the, just uh, just one squat every once in a while in the gym. Just and, and speaking on behalf of everyone in Kansas City, and I've been asked to say this, and, and I apologize because this is coming you know out of left field. Please don't wear shorts. Okay. You know, the out-of-bounds stakes at a golf course? Yes, sir. Those, those white skinny right. things? Mm, okay. Do you have any more questions? Uh, dude, I got so okay, many questions. Good. So we met at, um, very similar to uh, Mr. Matt Havens, uh, who recently came on as a guest. Fabulous, man. Fabulous. Uh, fabulous. <laughs> we met at uh, the Mill Lacks Corporate Ventures um, Leadership <clears throat> Conference. And I had, dude, I had no exposure to Minnesota meteorology oh. or oh. news. And so I'm sitting in the back of this conference, and all of a sudden, this band leader comes out. Oh, my God. That's right. And oh, my gosh. Like, it was intense, and it was so amazing. It was this gentleman that just completely got into character, and he's like a band leader, and he's trying to hype up the crowd. And I I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know what's going on. Like, there's no intro for this. It's just all of a sudden, the energy's on tilt. Like, it's like... And I'm like, where the hell am I? And all of a sudden, I'm just laughing. And I'm I had watching. no idea. It's you. So I'm watching you interact and run through all these folks. And you're just, and again, it's, you could tell you don't give a crap about other people's discomfort. Like, whatever comes to your head, within reason, you're right. sane. Right. 
people are super uncomfortable, but you have this knack for getting them to go there with you. Like when you say, grab my hand, grab my hand, and we're skipping down the, <laughs> and we're skipping down, and people roll with you. That was amazing. And I knew that moment that A, we were going to be friends, and B, that I couldn't wait to see what was next for you in wow. your career. So I mean, what are you doing in your career? Well, so when I do stuff like this, so uh, in it's this is such a convoluted story. So just bear with me. Okay, I've got some graphs here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm uber involved with Special Olympics Minnesota. I've been with Special Olympics almost my entire life, and um, the, these guys up here are super involved with supporting Special Olympics Minnesota. So that's how this relationship started. And they continue to say, hey, if you do these things for us, we're going to keep doing that. And together we can help change the world. So I say, yeah, man, I'm in. What do you need? Right. Who would say no to changing the world? Right. Just let me know. I'll I'll be there. What time? Right. And so, but I never felt right coming and doing something like this as the television guy. Right. You know, I love, I live for and I love my job but there there are certain parameters by which you have to operate every day of course. When, you're, when you're on the air um you know it, I have my meteorology degree I, I love meteorology I'm a geek of uber proportions but in the studio you can only do so much and quite frankly uh, the anchors don't really laugh at my jokes anymore really yeah it's it's kind of like I'm a lot of times it's like I'm the kid in the back seat and mom and dad are the anchors. Have you tried doing new material than the same shit you've been doing for the last 20 years? Well, I mean, you've raised an interesting point. But if, <laughs> but if something works for me, I stick with it. Um, and so, you know, this is a toll. This lets a different animal breathe. Okay. This is a different way for that animal to eat. Yes. I get, I get instant gratification from people laughing or not. Right. And and trying to turn something on its head when they do laugh or they don't. And what direction it's going to go. You know, people will find me and they'll say, what are you wearing? And I'll say, uh, isn't it interesting? And then they'll say, the key word, well, what are you going to do? And my answer is always, I don't really know. Yes. I know where I'm going to start. Right. And you know where it ends up could be completely different. Right. And, and that to me is a trip, man. It's, I love that. That is a, I, I love that part of being on a microphone. Yes. I love not knowing where I'm going because it's it's thrilling. It's it's there's there's anxiety. I'm never scared because you know I have I have that confidence I think that I get from my 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 parents that that says just go yeah. just go for it go with it and just make sure there's going to be an end because otherwise I mean it's like it this podcast that goes on forever. That's true. Well, especially that answer. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know what? So I had this conversation with Matt. So Matt. Um, he has amazing content and he told me, he said, I'm a natural introvert. Like I'm not, when I go home, I don't, I'm not like you and Ian. And he was like, you know, I admire your ability to go off the cuff. And, and he doesn't think that he has that. Oh, it's crazy. And, but, but he does, you know, what's amazing to me is there's so much, when you think about the what ifs, we're so programmed, folks are so programmed to know exactly what's going to happen and to have the content prepared. Right. You know how much content is right in front of you? Like that improv, that improvisational part of what we do is what drives me. And so, uh, forgive me, I haven't said what you do. So you're you've emceed many events. So you're the yeah. MC of this Mill Act Corporate Adventures Leadership Event, right? And so what that means is you start every single session off with a bang. You get people up off their seat. You set the ground rules. You introduce all the speakers. 
but you do it in a manner that I have never seen before. I've been to a lot of conferences, brother. I've never seen an MC like you. And you could tell that the reason why you're so successful is because you don't have that, or maybe it manifests itself differently, that little ounce of fear that people have. It's like, oh, what if, or should I say this, or should I do it? It doesn't appear that that exists in you. Is that accurate, or am I off? Yeah, that's true. I'm... Let me take you way back. <laughs> I, I'll never forget one time in Canada, I was introducing bare naked ladies. Okay. Important note, not the bare naked ladies. It's been one week since you actually did that. Damn. <laughs> it's not the bare naked ladies. Okay. Because they wanted it to just be bare naked ladies because that sounds funnier. Okay. I'm like, oh, okay. So, I mean, they spent 10 minutes backstage and you can't say the... And I looked out and there's like 40,000 people. It's at this massive festival. And somebody said, are you nervous? And I said, no. And I always go back to that moment because I don't get nervous. My family knows there's one thing about me. You cannot embarrass me. So if you can't be embarrassed, you can't be nervous because there's nothing that could go wrong that could you leave you saying, Oh no! Really there's always that. a way out. Yeah, exactly. Right? You just said it's all in front of you. Right. So there's a way to start, and there's always a way out. And I'm I'm just unembarrassable. <laughs> you should be embarrassed at coming up with that. Unembarrassable. Do you think that that's something that's? Um, oh, no, hold on. And Matt, to your point, you meet him backstage. You meet him somewhere. You're like, wow, he must be a fantastic accountant. <laughs> He's. So low key, like beyond low key. You, you think, wow, this is great. Hey, do you have a card? I need a new accountant. He's very just like right there. Just and he, you know, he's a sharp dresser and he's a good looking dude. And you go, wow, he's Ryan Gosling. And then he gets on stage and you're like, whoa, hey, whoa. there's this massive disconnect, right? And he's phenomenal, yes, and funny and one liners and dry, right. really great humor, really uplifting stuff, right? And then he comes back off stage and he's, <laughs> hello there. What did you think of that? That was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, just uh, I felt good while I was on stage. It was really super. It's like two personalities. But it's not just most people are like that. No, it's not. That's who he is. Right. You can tell that he's so smart. His humor is so smart. Right. And it comes from that same guy off stage. He just amps it up when right. he's on stage. Yes. You know it's the same guy because you can tell by the way it's being delivered. Right. You know when somebody's using somebody else's uh, uh, stuff, somebody else's line, somebody else's script. Because no matter how hard they try, you can say to yourself, wait a minute, that no, that's not his or right. hers, as right. the case may be. Exactly. With him, you go, man, I, I can see that. It is his. And I, that's what I love about people. And I, I think when you say, how do you get to that point? For me, that point is when I can see people not faking it. Remember I said, yes. if you fake it or, you, or you're, 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 you're lying or not doing the right thing all along... People will eventually figure that out. I like when you just did a callback and said, do you remember? Do you remember what I said five minutes ago, Paul? It was a, it was a callback. <laughs> so it was a great callback. So, I mean, Humor 101. Yeah, you have to have callbacks. Remember when I said you should do more squats? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> do you think the skill that you have is transferable? Like this get out of your head mentality of uh, just whatever happens, happens? I don't know. You know, I think... I think if people are scared, it's hard, no matter what it is. If you're scared to start your first job, you know, and you're working in retail and, oh my God, I have to talk to people. I've never done this before. Or you're scared to uh, um, meet people at your new school. I don't talk to people. They say, I didn't want to move. My parents made me move. I mean, if you're scared, anything is hard. 
And I think for me, what I've been able to do over the years is just say, there's nothing scary about this. Right. Just do it. That's a hard thing to put in somebody else's head. Mm. It's almost an impossible task. You know, people say, well, you inspire people. And I'd say the exact same thing when people say me that. I say, I can't inspire my teenage girls to clean their bedrooms. I'm not inspirational. I'm just a doer. Right. I don't, I don't see roadblocks. You know, I'm damn the torpedoes full steam ahead. Sure. Sometimes to my own detriment. Right. Well, but, I'd love to talk about specific examples in that regard. I think in order to get there, it's, it's imperative for people to understand like a, a larger portion of your journey, something sure. um, that's crazy to me in terms of how you handle yourself. So three years ago, you were diagnosed with a form of cancer. Is that yeah. my timeline yeah, accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was that? What's the... So I was diagnosed with a form of skin cancer called squamous cell. Okay. Um, and people go, well, I've, I've never heard of that. Like that's my Matt Haven's impersonation. <laughs> it's very, it's it's one dimensional. I'll grant you that hey, it's one dimensional. Just so you know, Matt Havens is in the room. That's the best part about all of this. Um, so squamous cell is a different. You know, people have heard of uh, basal cell and carcinoma. cell. Yes. Uh, they you see it on your skin, and it's a mole that changes color, and you're like that. That needs to be checked out. And by the way, yes, it does need to be checked out. Squamous cell grows under the skin, largely undetected until it breaks through the skin, and you go, what? What is that? And that's what happened on my my bottom lip. And be it ever so humble, what you see in front of you is, in many ways, the money maker. You right. know, I'm, I'm on TV, and uh, you know, and I do stuff like like what we're doing here on stage. And and I, no, I you didn't mean on the podcast. No, no, because this is are, are these on? <laughs> these are on. Wow, this these is are on what? What's the question? <laughs> is this on the internet? <laughs> um, so I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a manscaper. I'm a metrosexual guy. And yes. I thought I had a little whitehead in the middle of my lip. And I thought I've never even, how, did, how does that happen? Right. And I went to, you know, squeeze it and I fell over. The, the pain was blinding. And I said to my wife, I don't know what's going on here. And she said, well, you got to go to the dermatologist. The caveat here is we've always gone to the dermatologist because we're fairly sun safe people. Okay. And I went to the dermatologist and I'm sitting on the, uh, you know, on the, on the paper, uh, you know, you sit on that paper. Why yeah. did they put paper on there? How was that? Uh, just in case you shart. So, so there'll be sh- shardy paper. That's exactly right. It'd be a good band name. <laughs> right? Thank you, Cleveland. We're shardy paper. Good night. <laughs> right? So I'm sitting there on the paper, and the dermatologist walks in. She's like four feet away from me, and she goes, huh. And I said, you know, just trying to break the ice. I go, good, huh, or bad, huh? And she goes, I'll be right back. And she shut the door, and I'm like, wow, wait Jeez. a minute. I'm by myself. Crazy. Right. And she came in with a whole bunch of people and she said, we, we have, I think I know what it is. And I said, well, you know, do tell in here, you know, what's going on? She said, well, I, I, I'd rather test it first. And I said, well, I'd rather know first. She said, well, first of all, we're going to cut open your lip and we're going to do a, a rather deep slash of this thing and send it right to the lab. And secondly, I think it's cancer. You know, oh, and, and secondly, and I don't know anybody <laughs> in the world who, who, who hears that word. And doesn't immediately, and I don't know why, and I, I tell people this when I talk to them, I immediately looked at my shoes. I don't know why. Why do we look down? Why do we look at our shoes? Mm-hmm. What, what, is, what is the answer that our shoes are going to give us? You know what? I'm an uplifting guy. So my message to people is always look up. Don't look down anymore. Mm-hmm. Always look up. And, and, she's, and I said, well, I got to go to the office. And, you know, I'm wearing my suit and tie. This is at 12 noon. She said, you're not going to the office today. And uh, she brought in a whole bunch of people and a big nurse, uh, a, a big tall woman who has probably outweighed me by, uh, I don't know, 50, 60 pounds, a really beautiful uh, older woman. And she grabbed my hand 
And she said to me this, she said, no matter what happens, I'll cry. She said, no matter what happens, this will be the most pain you'll feel in the coming months. And I thought to myself, wow. She said, I have to stick these big needles into your lip. And your lip is a very tough thing to penetrate. It was made that way by Mother Nature so that the cavemen didn't starve to death. It heals very, very fast, and it's very, very tough. She's telling you this yeah. level of detail. Yeah. And uh, she leaned me back, and she put this needle into my lip, and I, I, I wanted to just sock her right in the pow. Right. And, right in the uh, and then, yeah, and then they, they, they did this deep scan, and the next day they called. And I, I, I said the next day, why is all this such a big rush? doesn't seem like a big deal. They said the location on your chin and in your lip is very close to your lymph nodes. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure this hasn't spread. So then they start doing this, you know, exploratory, cut me open. Okay, it's bigger than we thought. You're going to have to have Mohs surgery. Mohs surgery, for anybody who knows who's had skin cancer, is kind of search and destroy. They'll center the tumor and they'll take it out. And then it goes under a microscope and they put coloring on it. And the coloring will illuminate the cancer cells. And if they've cut through a cancer cell, that means they haven't gone far enough. And folks who've dealt with cancer know that's called uh, um, a clean edge. Um, And so they have to keep going until they don't find cancer cells anymore. So you sit there in the morning and you, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to go on too long, but you sit there in the morning. I and want it, every bit of this. Okay. You, you get into the waiting room and the waiting room is packed with people. Waiting room is packed with people and you're all kind of nervous and, and you're, you're quiet. And, you know, occasionally somebody will say a joke and it just doesn't seem right because you know what's about to happen. And everybody goes in and then they come out while that scan is taken to, to figure out if they've got clear, clear margins on the cancer. So some people go in and they'll get a clean margin and they get to leave. Right. Why well, go in once and sit and there's some people in the, dress, in the uh, room. And then I go in twice and come back and there's a few, few more people gone. Then I go in three times and I come back and there's a few more people gone. And I go in for my fourth surgery of the day. This is now three hours later. And I come back and there's more people gone. By the fifth surgery, I come out, it's probably five or six hours later. And I said to my wife, I, I can't, I can't go back in there. I, I just can't do that. And we're the only people left in the waiting room. Mm. And every time the nurse comes out and they say, you know, they'll either they say you're clear or I'm sorry, we have to go back in. Mm. And the nurse came in and I could tell, I'm sorry. Dude, you do not have to be sorry. This is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. I could tell that she was going to tell me I had to go back in. Right. And I thought to myself, if I just sit here in this chair, what are they going to do? Right? Some some big guy's going to come and say, you got to go back into surgery, boy, and grab me and take me. It's going to be that big lady nurse. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they they don't have skin cancer bouncers. (laughs) Um, And my wife said, it's going to be okay. And my wife said to the nurse, can I come in? And the nurse said, yeah, you can and uh, so they did it again. I had to go back to the waiting room. And uh, then they came in and they said they had to do it again. What? So by this point, we'd already planned on if it was real invasive surgery, I was going to have plastic surgery the next day. Because again, be it ever so humble, this is the moneymaker. So is that what you're thinking about in the moment? Like what what's going through your, in, in your mind? Like well, the whole you're, time you're open. The, the wound is open as they're doing surgery on you and you, they walk you to this waiting room and then they call you back in. And I said to my wife, I said, what does it look like? Hmm. And she... She didn't say, she didn't answer the question. She said, it'll be fine. 
And you know when that you know that's kind of right. you know that's it's that's the like worst word in the planet. Yeah. set up on a date yeah. and somebody said, "Well, yeah. what are they like?" And they yeah. said, "Well, they're a really good dancer." Yeah. You're like, "Oh no!" Right. You know, you didn't answer the yeah. question, so I know. And she said, "It'll be fine." And I just thought, "Oh my god, I don't even understand what's going on." Yeah. So that time came, and I've been there for a whole day, eight most surgeries later, and uh, they said, "We got it. We think we got it all. You're you're free to go." And but we have to leave this. This wound has become so big. We we have to leave it open so it rests overnight. So the plastic surgeon has something to work with tomorrow. And I said to my wife, I said, "Give me your phone so I can look at this." And she said, "No, Mm-mm. that's hard, right?" Yeah. So they bandage you all up, and I'll uh, I'll never forget. I went home, and my kids, you know, everyone was there. And my kids said, "Dad, what do you want for dinner?" And I love pepperoni pizza. Well, <laughs> I mean. Most of my mouth is missing. I can't eat pizza. And my wife's like, I'll make you a shake. <laughs> like, Wait, no, no, I ordered pizza. <laughs> so <laughs> the next day we go in and I was really lucky. So my general practitioner, just by happenstance, not because, this isn't why I chose him. He's also a doctor for the Minnesota Wild Hockey Team. And he knows the guy who sews up all the hockey players after They've been sewed up on the bench. He takes that out and makes them look better. Right. And this guy was in town and, and I was able to, to, he got me in with him and, uh, you know, they come and see you and he says, okay, well, let's take off all the bandages, see what you look like. He goes, oh, they did a lot more damage than I thought. And you know, every time you hear that after, yeah. that's not what you want to hear. go ahead and punch me in right. the nose, dude. So then he starts telling me how he's re- going to reconstruct my mouth and, and make a lip where there is no lip. So at this point I'm missing almost half of my lower lip. Uh, and he's telling me how it's going to happen and everything else. And the nurse comes in. She said, are you nervous? And I said, yeah, a little bit. She goes, I'm going to get you something special. And I said, Ooh, that sounds delicious. <laughs> and she came in and I, I don't want to get her in trouble. Nobody knows who she is, but she said, we kind of call this vodka in a syringe. It's going to relax you. And I'm like, can I have a double? Yes. And she gave it to me and I immediately started singing uh, puff the magic dragon. At the top of my lungs. Because she gave um, you liquid LSD. Yeah. And my wife's like, <laughs> what is going on? And as they're wheeling me to surgery down the hallway, I'm singing Puff the Magic Dragon at the top of my lungs. I never sang that song. Right. But apparently it was an awesome rendition. The dance remix is coming out next week. Um, so I go into surgery and instead of an hour, it's like three hours. I have uh, uh, 52 stitches in, in my lip and I have a lip where there was no lip and, uh, and the rest... You know, the rest is history. That was the big deal. That right. and 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 I obviously that takes a lot of time for me to tell that story, and I apologize. What are you apologizing for? Because well, people the at home right now are going, I've ever oh heard my God, why is this guy talking so much? Um, it's the, so I started a blog, uh, and I started a blog. Bragger. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a it's a blog. What is it about? Do you it's talk a, about it's like about my skin cancer journey? Oh, sorry. and it's about how because I looked online, I looked online, and there was nothing I could find about squamous cell in the lip and what what happens to people. I thought, well, if I'm googling this, somebody else is googling it. So I I, uh, I I put together this, and I went through every day, and I just raw emotion. I just typed what I was feeling at the time, and. Uh, I have, I still get phone calls and emails from, I had the greatest call a couple of weeks ago, this little couple in Alabama. They got, cause I put my phone number on there. They call me, this little lady's like, and I'll do a bad accent. She's like, 
is this Anne? I'm like, yeah, it is. And they went on to introduce themselves and talk about how her husband, who was 82, was about to have the surgery, and he was nervous, and their son was a Marine, and he was home, and he helped them do a Google search. And they found my thing, and they just wanted to tell me that it made everything better. Because it was so real, right? I didn't. I, I don't. I don't pull any punches in there, um, and it was. It was. It was a really cool moment for me, and I've had hundreds of those moments. And that's you ask where the motivation comes from. Just being real again. Did going, I ask that? I don't know. Pretty, I don't know. I've been talking. <laughs> I've been talking so long. I don't even know where I am. Um, ten four, baby. Ten sixty nine. Let's go. It makes it. Uh, it makes it makes going through it better for me knowing that I could help somebody. And I know that sounds kind of weird. No, it doesn't at all. I think uh, two of my favorite traits in the world, and I may have said it when we were talking to Matt, but like relatability, authenticity, they, they kind of go hand in hand for me. Like right. I feel like if you if you bury your true soul, then you're kind of relatable because I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's me. That's what I would do, right? But then vulnerability. Like I feel like that is such an amazing trait that we're so scared to like, no, allow ourselves it. to have right, right. And so when you say when you cry, people are like, "Wow, oh, what are you doing, dude?" No, dude. When I see that, so you're the second person to cry on this podcast. And I, truth be told, those are my favorite because I know that shit's getting real. Yeah. And I think that you know, if anything, what I hope people will take from this is uh, when they see you, and if they've ever seen you, either a do the do the uh, do the weather. Is that what we call it? Do the meteorologic report? You went to school, right? <laughs> well, I went, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was the only homeschool student that my mom flunked me out. Like it was, <laughs> it was like, she was like, yeah, you're going to find a new teacher. <laughs> Awkward at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I hate my teacher. Who's my mom? That's right. um, uh, meteorology. We just call that meteorology. Okay, yeah. apologies. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, there you go. But anyway, like when I met you, you just have this infectious personality and you're so positive and so upbeat and so freaking funny. And I think oftentimes, you know, I would consider you and Matt and my, we're entertainers. Yeah. It, and in that, I think that that means that oftentimes we're really in tune with the emotional aspect of things. Laughter. Sure. Uh, tears, you know, connections. And so it's amazing to see this part of you because I haven't, we've seen each other yeah. cry, but not to this level. And I don't think that the bulk of people that uh, see you on the news have ever seen this aspect of you. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, I think I cried the first night I was back on the air. Okay. It was really, you know, I didn't know if I'd be able to talk after all the surgeries. Sure. And they, they said, well, we can do speech therapy. And I'm like, where am I in my life? Right. But for me, and it's the message I tell everybody, my story is no different than anybody else's. Right. Everybody out there has something going on in their yes. life, something that's tragic, something that's awful. I tell mine publicly, so maybe it is a little bit different, but it doesn't mean mine's any any worse. No. You know, uh, cancer's a, it's an awful thing. It, it is... Uh, you bit your tongue there. You really bit your tongue. Well, yeah, because I, I want, I mean, I, there's... A, if, I don't even know. I don't even know how to have a conversation about cancer without crying. Sure, and about getting really pissed off, right? But then wanting to make a joke about it to inspire people to do something good about it. You know, so it's it's all encompassing for me. So you've heard the story of Noah, uh, the, the little guy with boy. The boat? Yep, the, Noah Wilson, the little boy that that passed away. Oh, uh, it's it's the guy with the boat. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that story, when you tell that story, is. You know, it, that's that's what I was just saying. People, everybody has some. This is a six 
year old. Yes. Who has more, more courage and more wherewithal and more foresight than I've ever had in my life. Not true. And I'm going to tie all this together. But the story that I don't know, the back end story that if I, I don't know if I've ever shared with you. I know I certainly haven't done it necessarily on stage. But so this boy at six years old was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, right? Right. And so he effectively beats Ewing sarcoma. Like he goes through all the treatments. We get a limo for him. A number of different Kansas City folks fill it with toys. And they go pick him up. He goes and he rings the freaking bell. And his parents, Scott and Deb Wilson, they, the kid beat cancer. Yeah. Everybody's on cloud freaking nine, right? It was weeks later when they're going and celebrating Deb's birthday at Dave and Buster's where he's like, I don't feel really well. Uh, so they look inside of his mouth at this doctor's appointment the next day and, and he's got all those white spots. And so the medicine that they gave him to cure his Ewing sarcoma, an actual byproduct of that is there's a likelihood that it could generate a secondary form of cancer and leukemia. So what? when you think about, yeah, so that's why we raise money for pediatric cancer research is because we're given these same treatments that we know the potential is there, that it could create a secondary form of cancer, but you know, it gives them a shot. Right. That's all they got. I, yeah, I totally get it. So the point in this story though is like, you always hear folks say, well, it happens for a reason, right? Or it's mm. God's plan or whatever. So here you say, you know, I get pissed off. Could you imagine being the parent of this yeah. little boy and uh. believing that your son has effectively beat cancer, and he did, and then a couple of short months later, he's no longer with mm. you? When I hear your story and Noah's story and anybody else, the thing that I admire most about you, Ian, is like, you're fucking amazing, dude. Excuse my language. You're so funny, and you're so positive, and people look at you, and they say, gosh, he's got his, he's got his stuff together. That's unattainable, right? Right. And I wish I could be like that. That story that you just told, that's like, that is like the darkest of days for anybody yeah. else, yeah. right? And for you, it was too. But, but look what you've made of it. And like, you would never know that you went through that moment in your life, the way that you carry yourself. But yet, we get so freaking bent about a job that doesn't work in our favor or, uh, you know, the fact that we spilled coffee on our shirt or our joke didn't land or whatever it may be. That's a skill, dude. Uh, You know, it's just, yeah, I told you this earlier and I'll, I'll, I'll say it. Everybody has a story and you have to tell your story with you as the hero. And that, I don't mean that egotistically. You just, you have to know that every single thing you do every day makes a difference in somebody's life. Whether you're a truck driver or a housewife or a stay at home dad, all of those people make a difference in people's lives. I do it more publicly than other people. But that's that's kind of what we're supposed to do. Right. It's kind of what being a human is all about. Trying to make the smallest difference in somebody's life. You know, call it pay it forward. I, and I like that term. I think it gets overused, though. People say, I paid it forward. I bought uh, the, all the food for the people behind me in the drive-thru at McDonald's, right? And you're like, okay, that's cool, man. You bought some food because it made you feel better. That's I exactly get it. right. Yes. I get it, man. That That's really cool. But do stuff that is taxing on you. Do stuff that is taxing on your resources. Do that for other people. 
you won't feel so great about it because it is so taxing, but you're making a difference. Right. And that's why I said earlier, I like, I like being, I wouldn't know what to do if I wasn't tired because that being tired part of me, that, that, that keeps me going. I love it. I mean, I, I love being tired knowing that it's making a difference. That's, mm. you know, being tired because you've been up partying. Like, <laughs> 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 hey, hey, hey. I, I get that too. Hey, oh, yeah. It's, so it's a little late. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> But you know, I'm I'm 54. There's not a lot of hayos <laughs> left. Even my daughters don't give me a hayo. But I I think for 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 me, what makes it real every day is that I I have trouble talking. And I have <laughs> I always tell people, you eat soup with me, that's an experience. Uh there's my my lip is completely numb. It feels like I've been to the dentist, but it doesn't have that big feeling. And the doctors all say this, well, you might get the feeling back. We're not sure. We cut a lot of nerves. And I get it. Yeah. That's what they say. But I mean, it's it's like it, it's like being on a plane and the flaps don't work. Mayday, mayday, mayday. And you know, we're going down. It's 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 hard to 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 to, to do what I do and not have your mouth work properly. Right, right. And that's my reminder every day that this happened and I have to do something to help people because it happened. Right. And it's, I, I think everyone's got a little reminder. Some people have tattoos. Some people carry something, uh, you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, they carry a token Point. to yeah. remind themselves. And, and this, is, this is my reminder that this happened to me. I need to be a better person. I need to do good things and I need to make the world a better place. Right. I just, yeah, I just have to. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, the individual that did your surgery did a phenomenal job because you're one of the most handsome SOBs I've ever had across from this podcast. Hashtag truth. <laughs> is so that let, what the kids say? That's what the kids I, say. I don't know who I the kids are. What is what is the range that you speak of? It was like 12? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, everyone's a kid to me, dude. Seven, I'm 54. That is true. You're a kid to me. You're a kid. What are you talking about? You what act are you like a talking kid? about? <laughs> Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> so... Let's talk about, uh, you talked about being dog tired, and that's one of the things yeah. that you enjoy. It's number two on your list, you like doing Ironmans. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, my best friend, when I was going, finishing cancer and finishing chemotherapy, um, he said, uh, we got to do something. I said, well, what do you want to do? And I was telling Matt this, he goes, let's- uh, Let's smoke meth! Well, that was down the list. <laughs> oh, um, it wasn't number one on the list. <laughs> He said, let's climb a mountain or something. I said, get the hell out of here. I'm not climbing a mountain. I said, if you drive me up, I'll walk down. But I ain't climbing up a mountain. I don't do that. And he said, well, let's do a triathlon. I did one a long time ago, and it'll be fun. And I thought, well, yeah, all right. I mean, I've, we've always been physically fit. My wife's a personal trainer. You, you, don't, you just don't get fat and out of shape in my family. That, she'll kill you. I love you, honey. Um, <laughs> do you think she's really going to listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> do you want the truth? <laughs> no. Not a hope now. Um, so... He said, let's do one. And we did one. And then, you know, triathlons are all about starting small and working up. And we did that. And we worked our way up to a a half Ironman. And we really enjoyed it. But man, it is so hard. But it makes you feel like everything is worth it. You know, I go back to my dad. Nothing in life is worth having if you didn't work hard for it. And when he's telling you that, when you're 13, you're like, oh, please. And now I'm a dad. And I feel like I should say that more to people. Nothing Mm. worth having is worth having if you didn't work hard for it. If, it, if it wasn't blood, sweat, and tears. And I think that's why triathlons keep you coming back. Mm. And so for me, I love the blood, the sweat, and the tears. I love being normalized because I like to think I'm... Da, 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 da. 
Superman. Then, you know, there is no Superman. It's just me and my underpants running around with a with a towel as a cape. Speaking of which, you're in your underpants a lot more often than the average show. Is that something that you just enjoy? Well, it's it's so it's different for me. I mean, I was commando for years. I'm okay. not gonna lie. To you. <laughs> And so, you know, now we're in the underwear. It's it's new. I I want people to enjoy it as well. Um, So the the, the thing about the thing about the triathlons is that that blood, sweat and tears keeps you coming back. No matter how normalized, no matter how much it beats you down, you, you, you know, there's another race you can try. There's more training that you can do. And I don't think anybody would be worse off for being in better shape. Not everyone's going to become a triathlete. Not everyone's going to run marathons. Maybe somebody's going to walk a 3K or going to walk around the block of the office. But I'm pretty sure in some way, shape, or form, somewhere down the road, that's going to help you. Right. Um, and I'm not one of those guys. Everyone's got to get out and eat right and do things. I do. And I'll tell you, I feel, I feel much better for sure. it. Sure. So, and you look spry. Oh, God bless you. It's, <laughs> it's all the math. That's true. <laughs> you are great at meth. <laughs> <laughs> two plus two is five. <laughs> meth. Uh, you have a closet. This is one of one of the things that bonded us. Yeah. You like to dress up for fun. It's one of my core fundamentals. <laughs> this like, is sounding really weird all of a sudden. I Did, so you go to furry conventions, do you? <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, okay, so let me let me explain. Okay, so uh, when I first got to to Minnesota in two thousand and six, I'd always been with Special Olympics wherever I lived. Is that who you do the polar plunge with? Yes. You, why? Now you just stole it. Oh. I thought we were. Sh- I thought Worst we were sharing interview <laughs> ever. I haven't even asked you a question yet, dude. You've been talking you the whole again. time. Could you shut up? I'm talking. <laughs> God, you act like this is your podcast or something. So um, when I got here, they were doing this thing called the Polar Plunge. They cut holes in in a variety of lakes across the state. People get sponsored and they jump in. Yay, it's great. But back then, it wasn't. There wasn't much zany about it, other than how crazy it was to jump in this ice cold water. And they said, would you help us do this? And I said, yeah. And they said, we've raised about $130,000 a year, which is a lot of money for any organization. Agreed. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And the first one I showed up to, I was wearing the craziest outfit they'd ever seen. And, you know, I'd get out there and I'm like, hey, I'm here. And it was cricket. What was the outfit? It was a beaded vest, a sequin vest, sequin pants, uh, uh, like a purple lycra top. And a massive purple wig. Yes. It was, you know, it, granted, I didn't try that hard that day. I could do better, but that's what I had. Okay. And they were looking at me, and I jumped in the water, and I got out, and everyone's like, yay. And I went around, and I jumped in the water again, and everyone's like, yay. And I got out, and I jumped in the water again, and people were like, what is he doing? <laughs> and then I started going and getting other people who were about to jump and jumping in with them. And that became my thing. And then we started talking about it on the air. And it just kept growing and growing. And that first year, you know, $130,000, this year we raised $4 million. Jeez. Right? It's crazy. And, and I've jumped in, I think, every lake in Minnesota. And it's, it's, it hurts. I'm, look, I'm, I'm not here going, you should pull a plunge. It's a great time. <laughs> it really hurts. And there are some summers that, you know, you're like, I was in the pool. You say that a lot, right? Your your wife's like, hey, honey, oh, what's going on? Well, I polar plunged 85 times. Um, I'll just let your mind go where you want with that one. Uh, Special Olympics is so near and dear to my heart. Why? Uh, 
when I was a kid, uh, my best friend at the time, his name was Tom Pitts, and his younger brother, John, uh, was autistic. And people started picking on John a little bit. John would ride his bike around the neighborhood. I mean, he was a, he is the greatest kid. I call him a kid because I'm old. Sure. And, you know, we, we started looking out for him. And Mrs. Pitts, you know, just total sidebar here, left turn. Mrs. Pitts, I still can't call her by her name. I've known her my whole life. And she always said, Ian, call me Shirley. We're right. like, Mrs. Pitts, I can't. I've known you since, I don't know, first grade. Right. So she called me and she said, Ian, we're having a big fundraiser. We've never done this before. Would you help us? It's, it's for a school with special needs, not for Special Olympics. And I said, absolutely. I would love to. And I showed up and the auctioneer didn't show up. And my wife, you know, my wife's always like, Ian can do it. Yay. And my wife says to Mrs. Pitts, Shirley Pitts, Ian will do it. And they made more money that night than they've ever made. And I think it was just because I made people laugh trying to be an auctioneer. Yeah. And from that point on, Special Olympics came to me and they said, you know, we've never had a spokesperson here. And I said, funny, I've never been a spokesperson. It's a marriage. And from that point on, I've, I've, I've been with them. And uh, Tom Pitts is still a great friend of mine. He was uh, a bigwig with Credit Suisse in Hong Kong for the last 10 years. Now he's with Name Credit dropper. Suisse some in, somewhere in Germany. Um, and he is, I don't know, him and his family are just inspirational. And it's, you know, so it's, it's, it's in me because people always say, well, do, do you have someone with special needs somewhere in your family? To which I would like to answer, I'm kind of special needs. That's what I feel like your answer should be. Well, um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> what I would say is John Pitts is, was kind of our adopted brother, right. our adopted little brother, all of us. Right. And I think that's where a lot of that came from. Yes. And I've just, I've never lost that. I've never lost my passion for people with intellectual disabilities. Mm. And 90% of the time when I'm with the athletes of Special Olympics Minnesota and their families, I'm not with cameras. There's not cameras around. Right. A lot of times it's just me. I don't, I've grown up with these kids and their families. And um, it's amazing, you know, just today. I had two or three people come up and say, can I give you a hug? You do so much for Special Olympics, to which I want to say, it's, I don't do enough. Right. You know, it, it goes back to that tired thing. So you're tired. Oh, well, tough. Right. How can you do something for somebody else? Sure. And that's, that's always been my mantra. So when I talk to people about, about things, I always say, ask yourself two questions. When you go to bed, say, what did I do for someone else today? And when you wake up in the morning, say, what will I do for somebody else today? Mm. And it's that selfless nature that I think will, 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 will make me a better person every day. And my kids, we call ourselves a helping hand Leonard's. And my kids, well, they'll say, dad, I'm tired. I'll say, you guys, we got to do this. We got to go. And they always say, yep, no problem. And I know it's something they're going to, I don't know it. I'm pretty sure they'll keep doing it when I'm gone, yeah. whenever that is. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. That stuff doesn't go away, especially it makes you feel closer to your parents too, you know? Yeah. Like that, that's a bond that you guys will always have. I, I was flying the other day and I ran into a young what man. What kind of drugs did you take? You know what? I don't really do drugs. Thanks for asking. <laughs> How I'm a, dare you? I'm How high. freaking dare you? <laughs> I'm high on life. <laughs> So I meet this young boy <laughs> on the airplane. Actually, I don't meet him. I walk on the airplane, and he is the one person out of 75 that smiled at me. And he's traveling with his dad. And I could tell that, you know, he he's he, he was living with some mental disorder. 
And man, he was just smiling great and just loved. What were you, were you going to say something? Intellectual disability. Intellectual disability. And this kid, he was just, he was just on cloud nine. Yeah. And so we're walking out of the plane and uh, him and his father, they're sitting out. And I don't know if I think they're waiting on a wheelchair. And I said, Hey, how's it going, buddy? And he goes, Fantastic. Right. And I go, I'm glad to hear it. And I walk down. Now our flights are delayed. So I'm sitting there and it's in, we're in Nashville. And I go to Burger King. And it's the longest line of all time. I'm just sitting there waiting, waiting on my food. And who pulls up but this, this kid and his dad? His dad's like a rough, like biker looking dude, right? Not probably the dude that you would be like, hey, how's your day going? Right. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I look down at the boy and I'm like, what'd you get to eat, brother? And he, you know, chicken sandwich. And we start talking and his dad speaks up and he was like, this is Austin. Austin is one of only two cases in the whole entire world of this rare disorder. He's, it's amazing. So I start talking to him. He's now he's 27 years old. And I, what are you guys doing? He goes, well, we're going to Austin. I'm taking Austin to Austin. We're going to go watch live music. He said, do you know how many individuals this guy, Austin, has met and impacted in his life? And he starts talking about all these bands, Marshall Tucker Band, and all these like huge mainstream bands that he has been backstage with and hung out, said, this kid is one of the most inspiring people ever. So we crack jokes about, you know, special needs or whatever it may be. And I am, Ian, you know me, I am of a firm belief that you have to laugh at life because, man, you are dealt with some horrific stuff. Yeah. But there's not many people that I admire more than folks like Austin and and Noah Wilson and, and you for anybody that has dealt with these unspeakable challenges and the way that they carry themselves. I think that we could all learn a lot more from individuals in which you're doing the polar plunge for, or the Austins of the world. Well, there's no greater truth or honesty than uh, an athlete or a a person with intellectual disabilities. And and we say that all the time. I'm not just saying that because it's like the, the, the filter doesn't exist. You will always get the truth. And it's so uncanny because in life you're like, I can't, you know, Somebody, you know, it's it's like, uh, do, do these pants make my butt look big? I mean, right away they'll say, yep. yep. <laughs> you know, and I don't mean, it, it's just, they are, the athletes in particular of Special Olympics Minnesota that I've had so much fun with, they will, they'll come up and they'll say something to me. Um, there's one girl, her name's Abby. I call her Abby Kadabby. Um, she actually works at the Special Olympics Minnesota office because she's gone through specialized training we call Global Messenger, right. where uh, athletes are taught how to, how to give a message and how to talk in front of groups of people. And uh, she will always come right up to me and she'll say, you know, I watched you last night and you weren't very good. To which I just go, that is true. You know why? Because she doesn't know how to tell me it's not true. Right. And so then I'll sit down and say, well, what didn't you like? We need more of that, yeah. right? Yeah, instead of, man, great job yes. last night. Right. You know, the sports guy walking out. Hey, what a great show, everybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, please do you have beef with the, the, the sports guy? Huh? You got beef with the sports guy? <laughs> I've got no comment. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> the sports guy, his name is Jim Rich. Uh, him and I go at each other for fun. Honestly, just for fun, like locker room fun. The first night we had Oh, a, I know one person that said that once. Then they were elected to president. Um, 
Is that Douglas MacArthur? Fun. It's unacceptable. That's what I'm saying. Keep going. Tell your story. <laughs> we we go at each other, and the, we had a brand new anchor who just come from MSNBC. Great guy, Randy Meyer, and him, uh, Jim Rich, and are going at each other during one of the commercial breaks, and he's freaking out. He's like, "Oh my god, they're they're fighting. It's terrible." At the end of the show, we're just doing it. Still, we just try to one up each other and have fun. Oh yeah, well you're you're stupid. Oh, and not on air. Oh yeah, well what. God, look at your pants. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of, sure. it's just idiot talk. Yes. And Randy yells at the top of his lungs, I can't work like this anymore. You people have to get together and then be on the same page. And he storms out of the studio and Jim and I look at each other and just start laughing. We're like, oh my God. Yes. So to this day, we still do it. And it still makes Randy a little uncomfortable. And anybody who will ask or listen, he'll say, these guys are knuckleheads. But and, and that is true. Yeah. So that's my beef with the sports anchor. Thank well, you. Well, Ian, I, I have. Uh, this is my forty fourth episode. Maybe the 45th. longest episode in the history. That's of not world. true. Um, you are you are literally one of my top ten people uh, in this planet. Like guys that I look up to. You and, have to meet more people. Uh, that, there's truth <laughs> to that. But um, I get out. I get out a lot. I travel a lot. Um, you're an inspiration, dude. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and I'm remove remove the cancer story. Your humor and the way that you make people feel with how you present yourself and how you you know self deprecate and all that stuff is something that the world needs more of. Yeah, and this I, is why you feel me push on you from time to time is because you've made a difference in my life and you shared some really awesome words. And you're like, dude, you were great last year, but you were freaking great this year, right? I could attribute that to people like you and Matt Havens. Like, even though it wasn't direct feedback, it's I see what you guys are doing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta step my game up. So if you think of of you know your journey and everything that we talked about, I know this is putting you on the spot, but wrapping this thing up, like what what's what's something that you would say to all of our listeners that could potentially help them with whatever they're dealing with uh as it relates to what we've talked about today? You know, I I I truly believe that if you fake anything in life, it's not if you're not genuine, people will see through it and they they're not going to want to be a part of who you are or what you're doing, right? Yeah. Whether whether you're a kindergarten teacher or a or a cabinet maker, it, there's a lot of false bravado out there and sometimes people put that on because they think they need to. Right? And I'm telling you more than ever and I know it from the bottom of my heart. If you are genuine and you don't fake it, people will pay attention to you for the right reason. And if they don't, do you really want to be around those people, man? I'm telling you, (laughs) you don't. You want, and so you talk about Matt and you and I, we're like-minded and the like-minded people are the people that that can get through this. Cause I know you don't fake it. I know Matt doesn't fake it. Right. That's, that's what helps. So, you know, and this, this is coming from a father of a 13 and a 16-year-old. Sure. And my, my 13-year-old had a heck of a year with some bullying. And she is the strongest, most amazing, most caring, loving little girl in the world. And she made it through. And you know how she made it through? She kept saying to me, Dad, you, you, you don't fake it. I'm not going to fake it anymore. I don't need to be that way for these people. And I'm thinking, wow. What the, that's got to be the proudest moment in wow, your life. Oh, man, it was so, so cool. I, I guess by not faking it, I, I just, you know, like my mentor said, don't, don't fake it because one day you forget and the one day you're too tired to fake it. Everyone's going to know you were. Right. 
And I, I, I think that's my takeaway. You yes. know, and it, I don't fake it. I mean, I mean, I have fun. Yes. Make fun. And it shows. Make people happy. There's nothing better than putting a smile on somebody's face, man. I'm telling you right now. Right. Whether you tell a really corny joke, like, uh, you know, the Packers joke I told earlier. How many Packers fans does it take to change a light bulb? Five. One to actually do it and four to talk about how really great the old light bulb was. <laughs> right? I mean, it's a silly joke, but people laugh and you make people smile and it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. Right? right? It's, it's, it's... I just think the world's a better place if we all just laugh. Yeah. And more importantly, if we laugh at each other, man. I mean, I'm a funny looking cat. Nobody's ever accused me of being good looking. Let's be honest. I mean, that that's the way it is. So I, I run with that. And when people say you look good, I'm like, right, right <laughs> over there. Got it. Check that box. Uh, I I just, yeah, man, make people laugh and just be genuine and don't yeah. fake it. Well, and, and interestingly enough, as you're making others laugh, it feels pretty damn good. And oftentimes because they're laughing, you're laughing. It's the greatest. It is the best. It's the absolute greatest. Sometimes I just want to make myself laugh. Yes. And if I make myself laugh, I hope other people That's laugh. That's exactly right? right. It's not always about searching for the, it's not searching for the chuckle. Right. Sometimes I'll make myself chuckle and go, I can't believe I got to where I was right now a minute ago. Agreed. And then people are laughing with you and at you. And you're like, oh my God, how organic was that? Yes. And somebody will say, well, that was awesome, man. You should do that again. <laughs> to which I say, I have I don't no know what idea I what I just did. <laughs> Were you recording it? Because right. I'd love to see it. Right. And that's one thing I tell people about improv, and I'll leave you with this. If you get off the stage and you've improv something and you can remember it all, then you didn't improv. If you can remember everything you just did, then, then you weren't improving. You weren't just reacting to the situation. Right. When you get off stage and people say, man, that was great. And I blacked go, out. What happened? Exactly. <laughs> it's like Will Ferrell in old school. Yes. I blacked out. What happened? It's the same thing. That is how you know you were right on the edge. And, and, and that's, that's a great way to live. Well, you're an amazing gentleman. You're a funny follow on social media. So if anybody wants to find you, what's your Twitter? Is it at Ian Leonard? Uh, Twitter's at Ian underscore Leonard, because apparently some famous artist in England had at Ian Leonard. Is he famous, though? Um, <laughs> why, I, I don't know. He's got, he's got my Twitter handle. <laughs> but if anybody wants to learn more about you, what station are you on? I'm on uh, Fox 9, KMSP. Okay. Fox 9 uh, in the Twin Cities. Twin Cities. And you know, the one thing about uh, the one thing about that is they are so amazing. Uh, all the work I do for charity is just they, I can't do it without my family and I can't do it without my work family. Sure. You know, there's not a lot of places that let you do that much. Yeah. And they know they they know that it resonates, they know that it's important. Well, I know um they have appreciate you because obviously you've been employed this long. Uh, I know that you make a lot of people laugh, including myself. This is one of the most enjoyable podcasts I've ever done. I appreciate you bearing your heart and your yeah, soul. Um, guys, it's the Fundamism Podcast. Our goal is to create more fun in the lives of others. Uh, and Ian is a shining example of those that are doing it despite whatever challenges they face. We all struggle in life. Every single one of you is dealing with something. So gravitating more towards the things that lift you up as opposed to the things that tear you down is certain to help you through those challenging times. So in closing, we strongly encourage you to go out, create some fun in your life, and hopefully in the lives of others. We hope to catch you on the next Fundamism podcast. And until then, 